This podcast is brought to you by Grovest and the 12B Green Energy Fund, a private equity fund that entitles taxpayers to invest in a portfolio of renewable energy producing assets and benefit from the SARS-approved enhanced 125% Section 12B tax allowance. Fund 1, worth 200 million rand, is now open for investment. Please do your own research, discuss this with your independent financial advisor, and visit the Grovest and 12B websites for more information and to reach out to the team with any questions you may have. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is designed to provide you with further details on this investment opportunity. The 12B Green Energy Fund is not specifically endorsed by the Finance Ghost and you should not interpret this as advice to invest in this fund or any other financial product. Welcome to Ghost Stories and I hope that you will enjoy learning about this interesting investment opportunity and the way in which the South African government is encouraging investment in solar projects to address our energy crisis. Welcome to this episode of Ghost Stories. This is going to be super interesting for anyone living in South Africa who has been on the receiving end of load shedding, i.e. everyone, um, unless you perhaps live right next to a hospital. I do sometimes hear these incredible stories of areas that just don't get any load shedding. So today we are talking about a really interesting investment opportunity in the renewable energy space. And we've got a different type of Miller time today, and that is in the form of Jeff Miller from Grovest. Jeff, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be doing this with you. I think we're going to learn a lot today around around not just alternative assets, but around you know how you are responding to this opportunity with your 12B fund. So welcome to the show and thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. And I want to kick off by just talking about the alternative asset space in general, because it's quite poorly understood, I think. Not everyone understands what this is. They think that means, you know, a basket of crypto. And that's not what it means, uh, in this case, at least. I feel like Section 12J kind of kicked a lot of this off, um, you know, and the key players in the market have then kind of taken the 12J as a springboard, really, and moved on into all kinds of other interesting things, because 12J, to my understanding, always had a bit of a sunset clause to it. Is that a fair summary of how this thing has developed? You know, what are alternative assets in your mind? So firstly, I'd like to say, I think that 12J certainly set the scene for alternative assets being offered to the retail market in South Africa. It was the first, you know, opportunity to get into this type of asset class because historically it was only available to very, very high net worth individuals, family offices, and institutional investors. So 12J gave the South African market the opportunity to have an uh, opportunity to invest in this type of assets. And 12.5 billion was invested into alternative assets through the Section 12J arena. It's a pity that it did come to an end, although it was no surprise. It was legislative for the sunset clause. But I, I really believe that it was doing good. It created a lot of jobs. It brought in a lot of new entrepreneurs that could never have got financing from traditional sources. And I think a, a lot of new industries were born as a result, kept money on shore, et cetera, et cetera. That came to end in June 21, and obviously there were a, a number of players who played in the space, needed to reinvent themselves, a lot of them, and most of them stayed in some sort of alternative asset. And my, my understanding of alternative assets is anything other than equities, bonds, and property, which are your traditional 
let's say, main asset classes. So an alternative asset can be anything from private equity to venture capital to anything even all the way through to can be to coins and whiskey and wine and art and crypto. Uh, that, those are different uh, pieces of the puzzle. And then you've got the hedge funds and all that type of stuff that maybe, you know, which is a combination of a whole lot of these different asset classes. But most importantly, I believe that this investor should really consider putting a piece of their portfolio into alternative assets. Why? Because obviously it's a, a portfolio segue to what you currently have, but also I think it can give you a lot of alpha that into your portfolio that you might not always have. And also alternative assets somehow has some sort of inkling that it's high risk, but it doesn't necessarily have to be high risk. Of course there's high risk stuff, venture, capital is high risk, but if you invest into, uh, let's say, um, rental of movable assets and you, you, you got contractual monthly cash flows, that's not as high risk. And so the 12B Green Energy Fund is what I would deem to be is to is low to moderate risk. Why? Is because that you have contractual cash flows for 20 years at a predetermined escalation rate with a contracted a party that has been uh, hopefully uh, vetted, you know, for credit risk. Yeah, many, many ways to, well, I almost said swing a cat there in alternative assets, but I've got my kitten on my lap and I'll try not to scare yeah. him. We need another analogy for this. But the point is there are a lot of different ways to invest. And to your point, there's an entire risk spectrum as there would be in equities or in bonds or certainly in property. So I like the fact that you've raised that because people go in with this preconception of a specific asset class has a specific amount of risk. Go ask Silicon Valley Bank how low risk bonds are. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, and that's U.S. Treasuries. So <laughs> it's just it's just not true. It's not true that a specific asset class is always the same risk, right? Absolutely. So I think there's horses for courses. Obviously, the higher the risk, there's potentially higher rewards. I like to believe that now with 12B, and, and we'll talk about, I'm sure, in much more detail, is that the 125% asset allowance actually gives a kicker to the returns while that doesn't change the risk at all. Yeah, I know you're raring to go with 12B, but Jeff, I've got one other question for you before we really dig into the detail here. And I'd like to talk a little bit more about Growvest as a whole. And I think for the listeners, you know, those who are thinking of investing, it's always really good to understand like where your money is going, you know, who are the people who are going to be handing on to it and investing it. So I think if we could spend a minute or two on just a little bit of the background of Grovest. We don't need the entire family story, but I think just how you got to where you are today. And from a look at your website, there's a bit more going on than just sort of the alternative assets, right? There's some fund admin services. I saw a bit of corporate finance. That's my old life. So yeah, just interested to know a little bit more about the broader Grovest story. Grovest started off as um, a boutique corporate finance house 10 years ago, and we became the first operational 12J company in the market. We then launched 10 funds of our own, each with its own mandate right across where that was uh, hospitality, tech, uh, movable assets, as well as solar. And it's morphed into what we'd have now is more of an investment holding company, similar to that of RMB, who have uh, discovery, outsurance, uh, stake in FNB, uh, obviously, we're a lot smaller, but we would obviously hopefully grow to, uh, you know, the size assets in the future. 
But we have take on projects, all different corporate finance projects, whether it's buy, sell. We obviously use our team, which is made up of a whole lot of accountants and analysts and lawyers. And we have uh, our own in-house compliance. And, you know, we, we, we handle a lot of different projects and give support to the existing portfolio that we have. In August last year, we launched a crowdfunding platform called GoGetter across Africa. It's an equity-based crowdfunding platform that across the continent, which allows entrepreneurs to place their businesses onto this go-getter platform and to raise capital from the private market. So really democratizing the opportunity to invest into early stage type businesses, uh, private equity and venture capital, which again, were never really open to the retail investor. Interesting and yeah, enough, crowdfunding has been very popular around the world, in America, in the UK, in, in, in the Orient, and not much in or nothing in, in Africa. So this, we're hoping that this would become, you know, the place for African entrepreneurs to also, you know, launch their businesses and to raise capital. Like I said, we only launched this in August, but we've seen a lot of traction uh, to date. It's an exciting space. Uh, platform businesses are, are long-term, but we're very, very comfortable with the traction that we've got to date. And then 12B came along, and that's it's a culmination of all our experience that we've had whether it's in corporate finance, whether in 12J, understanding the licensing requirements, understanding the retail investor in South Africa, the understanding the tax opportunities and having to manage retail investments, having re managed three and a half billion uh, to date, we understand the needs of the retail investor. So we, uh, I think we put all these little bits and pieces together to create this 12B product being first to market and being very, very excited with this, this opportunity to date. That's a very interesting backstory, right? So to have started out in corporate finance, so advisory, not just investing is, is quite interesting. My background is in corporate finance as well, before anyone wonders, not at Grovest. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's sort of my background. So I understand that world, you know, the structuring, the thinking around the investment case, um, it, it explains a lot around your pitch deck, actually, and the proper sort of DCF that's sitting, or not DCF, but the proper, I think it was a 10-year cash flow forecast. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into all of those details. And I think let's talk 12B. You know, you're raising 200 million rand for this product. Uh, the focus is on renewable energy. What gets you excited about this and why does this incentive exist? Yeah, so I think why I'm excited about this uh, 12B, firstly, number one, I think it's a, it's a right product at the right time. And, you know, we were talking a little earlier that timing is everything. And I think that you need a little bit of luck. And I think that uh, with the timing of this launch of our product being first to market is right, was right in, in the sweet spot when in the country is going through this terrible crisis of, of load shedding. Every single day, everybody's affected, getting front page coverage on the paper every single day about uh, what we're going through and obviously everybody experiencing it. So here we have an opportunity for the private sector for the first time to really get involved with the government's permission to actually help alleviate or sort out this crisis. I think at the same time, it's going to create a lot of jobs. I think a whole new industry or industries are being created, which is very, very much needed in the country. And I think, uh, and above all, we are being able to provide a retail product to investors that is of moderate to low risk with above average returns. And I think 
all this wrapped up into the, the 12B product it makes a great story. Everybody who invests in this product is making a difference, is getting great returns, but also getting involved in solving the country's problems. And that's how tax incentives work, right? Is the government has clearly identified an area where they want to drive investment. So what do you do to drive that investment? Well, you give people a carrot. You say to them, you know, we'll give you a better tax outcome if you go and invest in the space. And then an entire ecosystem is built around that, right? That's how it works. Yeah, so quite interesting enough, 12B has been around since 2016. So it's not a new incentive. It's just been, let's say, supersized, put on steroids by taking it up from 100% to 125% and taking away the cap on one megawatt. And I think also it's got a like, you know, it was announced in the budget at the time that there's this big crisis going on. So it's got a lot of airtime. And I think people are, you know, recognizing that the, the private sector have to get involved. Otherwise, it's going to take much, much longer to get this rectified. Yeah, it certainly makes a lot of sense. So Obviously, the tax kicker helps the returns like significantly, but you know, to what extent do these returns stack up without the tax kicker, which is basically an upfront deduction on the amount actually invested? You know, is this a good investment even without the tax, or is it the tax that really takes it to the point where it's attractive? So it's a twelve percent return without the tax. So I would still say, under the circumstances, is far better than putting your money in the bank or in, in some cases is, is outperforming that of the market. So, uh, uh, so it's, it's, it's tw you know, like for like, 12% before the, before the tax incentive, 18 to 18.5% with the tax incentive. So it, it can stand on its own. It's not, uh, you know, it's not shooting lights out, but it's certainly 12% for moderate risk investment with a very, very high cash-on-cash cash return biannual distributions is certainly nothing to be sneezed at. What sort of exposure does this have to prevailing interest rates? Um, you know, is it impacted at all by sort of where the prime rate is, where government bonds are trading, or is this going to kind of carry on its way through this process because of the contractual cash flows? Our financial model is not predicated on any gearing. So if we had to gear in the portfolio, it would certainly have some sort of interest rate risk because you would be borrowing and, and obviously then you'd, your interest rate your payments would be higher and your the returns to investors would be lower. That doesn't mean that our fund cannot put gearing into the portfolio. But we have, you know, modeled on our 18% IRR net of fees and taxes with no gearing. If we had to add gearing into the equation, and the banks are very, very keen for these type of green books and would give you anything to between 60 and 70% LTV, but and, and would probably put up an extra kicker into the RR to about another two or three points. Also, quite interesting, if one used that gearing to acquire new solar kits or solar equipment, we would be able to pass on the additional 12B allowance to the investors as well. Our fund mandate does allow for gearing, but initially we, we, you know, it's, uh, we haven't modeled that, but we certainly can utilize uh, gearing if we wanted to. So now you can see where I'm going with this in my head or what I'm thinking. So distributions are the first ones planned for September 2023, which is just around the corner. Um, after that, what do the distributions look like and how much of that is kind of a cash yield versus eventual IRR based on the capital value? So the cash yields are extremely high because of the fact you're getting monthly contractual cash flows. So 
if we look on the gross investment, you're looking on an average for the nine years. And why I say nine years? Because in 10 years, that's when we cash out in a fund and it will skew the, the return. So there's an average cash on cash return of 12.6% for the first nine years. It grows initially from 9% all the way up to 16%. If one had to look at it on the risk capital, which is actually the net cash outflow that the investor actually makes. You're talking about it every, for the nine years, you're looking at a 28.9% cash on cash return for the first nine years, starting at 20% and in year nine getting to 36%. So your, your cash on cash returns are extremely, extremely high. You know, it would be interesting to go in and have a look at the numbers and actually, I, I, what I'm thinking is if there's no gearing in the fund, obviously, I wonder how many people are sitting out there going, okay, well, I can gear this myself. You know, go take this money out of my access bond. Um, and obviously, I'm not for a moment suggesting you should, but it's just something that's interesting to consider, right? Because I think the money gets locked up for 10 years, is it? That's the investment term. So there's two, let's, let's just break that, that up into two parts. So I would recommend that investors uh, go and take money from the access bond and invest in here. Why? Number one, the interest uh, that you pay into for this particular investor is deductible from your taxable income. And we've got tax opinions to support that. So any interest that you pay in your personal capacity to fund the investment into the fund is tax deductible. Secondly, yes, the fund is based on a 10-year private equity type model, but it's not absolute. If the, the manager feels that they want to sell the portfolio in year eight because it's, you know, market conditions are aligned for that, they will do it. The paper that we signed 20-year power purchase agreements with off-takers, but for the retail investor to have a life cycle of 20 years seems long. So we brought it down to 10 years and we've assumed that in year 10, we will exit the portfolio to another money market fund or, or some aggregator who will be in the market, which we, we will be picking up all this paper and, if, and as an independent power producer, IPP, who will own all these solar kits. Uh, somebody who's got, you know, in a big uh, checkbook will uh, start picking up all this paper and create a monster business. But if any investor wants to exit before the 10 years, for whatever reason, there are me mechanisms to exit from the fund. The fund is cash rich because it receives these monthly cash flows. So it's always in a position to liquidate an investor I I position if they have to. Yeah, so I just want to obviously, you know, make it very clear to anyone listening to this. I'm definitely not advising you to do this. This is do your own research of note. Go and have a chat to Jeff and the team. Chat to your independent financial advisor. But the concept here is embedded in finance. And it's like in property funds, right? If you invest in a REIT, they do the gearing for you. But people go and buy a buy-to-let property and they gear it themselves. So what we're talking about here is not something massively different to that. The fund is not geared. Hence, an investor could think about gearing it themselves. They just need to think about access to cash duration, you know, how difficult it might be to get the money out, whether there's a discount on that. You know, there's quite a lot to think about. So Jeff, I want to change tack slightly and just talk about, you know, the deployment of funds, your pipeline. I had a look in your brochure. I think the pipeline's around 80 million. At the moment, you're looking to raise 200, so I don't need to get the calculator out to know that you've still got some pipeline to fill. What is the risk if you can't get the money away within, say, the next financial year, the 2024 financial year? Is there some tax risk for anyone investing, 
you know, how do you feel about filling that pipeline? I'm sure at the moment it can't be that difficult to fill a pipeline of solar. So first and number one, the, the pipeline, since we've put that brochure out, has moved. Now we're closer to probably the 120 million rand mark. So there is a lead time to order. At the moment, the lead time on the solar equipment is around three months. You know, so we, we have to plan very, very carefully. In order to claim the 12B allowance, the solar equipment needs to start producing energy before the end of the financial year. So, you know, we have a, a strategic alliance with Hooray Power, of which we have a significant minority stake in the business, which is fully disclosed in our partnership agreement, is where we, we will be able to execute on a, about 200 to 250 million rands worth of projects. That's why we're comfortable that, uh, and we, we've limited this, the fund size to 200 million, is because at the very least we know that we can at least deploy uh, into the current year, and we would like to ideally match investments and give the 12B benefit in the same year. If for whatever reason uh, that we could not deploy all 200 million, and just say we only deployed 80% of it, then you, the investor would only get 80% of the 12B allowance, and then you've got up until February 25 to deploy the balance. So this whole 12B, 125% allowance is from the 1st of March 23 to 28th of February 25. So let's just touch on Hooray Power. I just love that name. That must have been named based on what everyone says when the power comes back on, right? Um, so obviously there's a relationship there that you have disclosed. I just want to be clear on this. So I'm assuming it's not the fund that has the minority stake. I'm assuming it's Grovest that has the minority stake. Um, so I just want to be clear on that for the listeners. And then is Hooray Power the exclusive contractor to get all of this across the line or can you use others if you run into trouble? Yeah, so uh, you're correct. So Grovest investment on Grow20 is the investor into Hooray Power. And it's, a, it's an asset because we have, uh, you know, we have control. We understand how they operate. They've been in the market for the four, last four years. Grovest has been funding them for the last four years. We've seen the projects that they've done. Where they have a 24-hour control room. They have their own proprietary software. You know, they have geezer controllers. They have load management systems. And uh, they were the very, very first, let's say, EPC to actually put these large storage batteries into sectional title complexes. So we're very, very proud of our association with Array. And it's based on this that we're very comfortable that we can deploy a, a minimum of 200 million. So I think raising capital for the 12B, I think is gonna be quite easy or easier than it was for 12J for obvious reasons. I think the secret or the trick is gonna be the deployment. And I think by the fund having the strategic relationship with Array, we had a, a huge advantage to others in the market. It's certainly very interesting what you've put together, I must say. And I just wanna understand a little bit around the sort of typical deal that actually gets done here. You know, is it solar panels at malls, for example, where the landlord is the counterparty credit risk? Is this something that I can go and put on my roof? You know, is it that kind of solar installation? And then as a follow-up to that is, is it all solar or is there other stuff in there as well? Yeah, so 
our, our target market is commercial and industrial installations as well as sectional title complexes. We do not focus on the homeowner. Uh, there are models for this, but it's not in our fund mandate. We're looking for larger projects, somewhere between the 8 and 12 million rand per installation for you know, bigger, chunkier investments and, and one check to manage at the end of the month. We, the, our installations comprise a, a multitude of different pieces. Obviously, the panels, the inverters, and the batteries, they're all integrated, tier one equipment. Panels come with 25-year warranties. The inverters and the batteries come with 10-year warranties. In our cash flows, we've, you know, we've projected to replace batteries and inverters in year 10 because you know, that is the, the life cycle based on a normal wear and tear. Obviously, it, it not, doesn't mean that the battery can't you know, go past the 10 years. It certainly can. But uh, you know, we've, we've, we've provided for that in our modeling. Let's talk about these returns a little bit and sort of you know, how we look out over those 10 years and, and, and look at what that returns components actually are. So I had a look in your investor deck and obviously it's contractual cash flows. There's some costs along the way. There's some fees that we'll talk about just now. You've assumed that the cash flows can ultimately be sold at a discount rate of, I think it's 13.5%. Now, obviously, there's no way of knowing for sure today what you could sell these things for in 2033. We know that. I'm kind of just highlighting it for the benefit of listeners. As you mentioned, you've assumed the battery gets replaced at the end of you know the 10th year. Every investment carries risk, of course. But in terms of sensitivities to these numbers, you know, have you run some thoughts around like that exit, the sensitivity of that exit for the returns, I would think is quite significant and I think that's something investors would just need to understand going into this. Yeah, so you're 100% right. No one knows what's going to happen in 10 years' time. But I can tell you that uh, in two uh, portfolios or solar portfolios that we in our Growvest stable have had is that we've sold two portfolios, one about just under 200 million, the other one was 225 million. One was sold at 12.25% and the other one at 12.75%. We've modeled at 13.5. So based on best information that we have at the moment, I think that 13.5 is pretty conservative. In terms of sensitivity, if we had to go 1% up or 1% down, it makes a difference of 0.25% to the RR. So it's not very, very sensitive, and that is because of the, the DCF taking place in 10 years' time. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess the real sensitivity is what if you can't sell the cash flows? But there are deals taking place at the moment, it sounds like. You've got market examples of this. Yeah, so we've had two, like I said, we've had two successful transactions that's been just taking place of significant size. And there's a huge, huge appetite uh, for this type of paper because it's, you know, the, and the banks haven't even started yet. They've just uh, got out the blocks. I mean, they will look to buy these books, in my opinion, anyway, and accumulate these books. The, they have gone through credit committee. They've had, they would have had a track record. And, you know, so there, there would be performance based into these books already. Yeah, life goes. I mean, there's lots of financial institutions that I think would probably look at this to be honest. Yeah, I'm on the same page. So just in terms of the actual investment, what is the minimum size? And then can someone invest multiple times? Do they need to just now say, listen, this is what I've got here. It is take it away. Or is the ability there to actually invest more than once? Yeah. So as long as they invest, so the fund is 200 million. The, the first close would be the earlier of 200 million or 28th of February, 24. We confident that uh, the fund will close beforehand and then we would open up fund two. 
there's no guarantee in fund two that you would be able to get 100% of your 12B allowance because of the fact that we'd have to build the pipeline and as whatever. We're very confident that the pipeline can, for the first 200 million, can be deployed in the current tax year. That said, if one can invest multiple times, you can invest on a monthly basis, you can invest once off, and you would get your accumulated 12B allowance. As long as before the 28th of February of each year, the tax year, you'd be able to get it. And, it's for, and the 12B allowance at 125%, as I said previously, is only for the next two years. And minimums and caps on the investment amount? Yes, the minimum is 100,000 uh, per, uh, per investor. And the maximum, there is no maximum. Quite interesting, in 12J, there was a cap for individuals and trusts at 2.5 million and for companies at 5 million. Here, there's absolutely no cap. So if any uh, taxpayer had, a, let's say, a big windfall and had to now pay capital gains of 30 million rand, they can invest into the fund, use a 12B allowance to, to shield the capital gains as well. That's very interesting, right? I mean, that, that really is. The, the other point, of course, here is... I guess your target is high earners because, and I say that just because the tax benefit is part of it. And obviously the tax benefit is on your marginal income tax rates because it's a deduction. So the more tax you are paying, the better the 12B benefits. And so I suppose for those thinking about this, literally the more tax you pay, <laughs> the better this investment is for you, right? So you're right, I think, but it's marginal because when you pay your, get your 12B allowance, you'll, you get the, the 12B allowance, you set it off your taxable income at the rate of tax that you would be paying. Again, when we give you distributions twice a year, that would be included in your taxable income and you'll be paying tax at your predetermined rate that you would be paying. So it's a very, very marginal difference between a 45% taxpayer and that of the 30% taxpayer. And that's why the interest, if you gear this yourself, is tax deductible because the income on it is taxable. Correct. Makes a lot of sense. Is there a recoupment down the line when the fund actually pays out? Do they claw back some of the tax then? Yes. So very different to that again of 12J. 12J, you paid capital gains tax from RAND 1. Uh, because your base cost was naught. Here, they're very, very different. Here, notwithstanding, if you invested 100,000 and you get 125,000 tax deduction, and you sell the, you know, we sell the fund in your in 10. We then say, what is the value of the solar kit in year 10? So we've assumed in our modeling that the value is 40%. So therefore, you would then pay a recoupment of 40,000 if you invested 100,000. So you'd pay 40,000 recoupment. So there's a huge bob between the 125,000 deduction and the 40,000 in year 10 recoupment. Let's talk fees while we've got time. That's always uh, important for investors. Obviously, I've seen you've disclosed it in your fund fact sheet, but I think it'll be good for you to just explain it here to stop people having to go and dig, you know. How are you bluntly making money from this? I mean, obviously, you've disclosed the interest in Hooray Power, but of course, that's just one part of how Grovest has kind of put this together. You are charging fees on the fund itself, which is market practice. What do those look like? Yeah, so typically for private equity funds, we charge a setup fee of 1%. There's a 2% per annum management fee on the amount invested, paid quarterly in area. And there's a 20% performance fee off the return of 110% of risk capital. So risk capital would be the investment amount that you made into the fund minus the tax allowance that you received. So if you invested uh, uh, 100 rand, 
and you're paying tax at the marginal rate, in round numbers, you would get a 52 rand tax benefit, and therefore you would have a 47 or 48 uh, risk capital. After returning the 48 times 110%, we would then start sharing the fees on an 80-20 basis. That's actually quite an interesting structure, right? Because it gives you guys a benchmark that you should beat because it's based on risk capital, but you've received much more than that. But at the same time, it's giving the investor a reasonable return on the risk capital before you participate. So this is the tax benefit that creates this interesting disconnect, right? Not disconnect, but just opportunity, I think. It's, it's, it's a SARS subsidized structure at the end of the day. That's what this is. Yeah, so it's, you're, getting, you're getting the tax allowance back from SARS. So we are then, uh, you know, after returning all your risk, you, so you're not at risk plus, 10%, then we'll share with you. And I, I have to tell you guys that the, the 18% projected RR is net of fees and taxes. And again, I, I mean, there's plenty of lookalikes and copycats who are in the market, and there'll be a lot more that will follow us. And uh, I think that fees is one issue, and people will discount fees to try and use it as attraction. But I can say that to the listeners, hand on heart. This is not. This is this play is about execution. This play is about getting the the installations into the ground and generating power before the end of the financial year. And I think that our strategic relationship with the rate power just gives us that additional boost that no one else in the market that I'm aware of has at this point in time. So uh, uh, fees is one issue, and I'm sure you know it's, uh, people may cut fees, and maybe there'll be people who have got higher fees than us, but I think most importantly, one needs to look at execution risk here. Execution risk is, is priority. Yeah, I mean, from my side, I always like seeing participation fees or performance fees because it means that you are just as incentivized as your investors to make sure that the stuff on the roof works. <laughs> it's kept clean it generates power it achieves returns i mean clearly like you know that's important i think people always need to be a little bit careful with how the fees really run through you've always got to think to yourself how is the other person making money are they making money when i'm making money and if so then you know that brings in a bit of a safety net no, you, you don't want to be on the other side of a phone call when the load shedding and the power is not working. No, exactly. You definitely don't. So, Jeff, a final question from my side, just a little bit around governance, perhaps. Um, is there an investment committee in place? You know, who sits on that? How is that actually structured? How is the capital deployed? And then I think we can probably release you to go off and fill that pipeline and, and, and raise some money. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so ESG is very important to us. Certainly, you know, the governance. Um, we have uh, investment committee, very, very experienced investment committee. We have uh, Derek Finlinson, who is, uh, sits on the committee, 30 years with Standard Bank, six years in the IDC investment committee, uh, sits on Stanley board currently, very, very experienced, gray-haired member of the investment committee. Malcolm Siegel and Amaris Chetty, who are both shareholders of Grovest and directors of the fund manager. By the way, Derek is completely independent. He hasn't any shares in the fund. He's got no shares in the manager. He's got nothing to do with Grovest. He's completely independent. And, uh, uh, and, you know, and, and the intention is that he will be the chairman of the investment committee. Malcolm Siegel is the chairman of Grovest. He was the managing partner of Graham Thornton. He also was part of the Sassfin Bank, so he's had a lot of credit experience himself and has sat on the IDC investment committee for 10 years. 
and Amarish Chetty, also a shareholder in Crowvest uh, and a director of the management company. He's experienced corporate financier, uh, had lots and lots of deal experience in private equity and uh, understands the space extremely well. So I think we we were in good hands. Uh, they're tough on us, but again, we welcome that because we're only looking for the best for our investors. I know that grey hair joke holds much water these days in South Africa. There's so much stress in living here that I think the greys have started a lot younger. I think if you walk around the average varsity these days, you'll find some uh, some salt and pepper. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, it's, it's experience is so important. Well, I think you see a lot more bald guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, maybe more solar on the roof will help reduce some of that stress and uh, kick the greys out a bit later. Jeff, thanks so much for your time this morning. I just want to reiterate again to the listeners to this podcast, you know, this is a platform to allow a business like Grovest to come and talk to you, for me to ask questions independently, to try and understand more about it. But ultimately, you need to go and do your own research. You need to speak to Grovest directly. You need to speak to your independent financial advisor. Uh, This is by no means me suggesting that you should do this or endorsing it. It's just giving Jeff a platform to come and answer these questions and tell us about this product. It does sound very interesting. So Jeff, best of luck to you. Uh, I suppose anything that helps solar get on the roofs in this country can only be a good thing. And it's nice to see this starting to really roll out now. We're basically building a decentralized grid on private balance sheets. That's now the story in South Africa. And you're right at the, at the I want to say coal face of that, but that sounds like a dis- ridiculous way to describe solar. But all the best. Thank you for your time. Before I let you go, for those who are interested in finding out more, what is the correct channel to follow here to come and speak to you? or their financial advisor, what is best? So I think the best is to go to apply at 12b.co.za and we can very welcome to, we'll send you investor decks. Uh, There is a 12b website as well, but should you want any further information, just send us a note on apply at 12b.co.za and we'll get back to you shortly. Fantastic. And for those who are interested, you can go and look at Grovest's broader business. Their website is grovest.co.za. That's grow without the W. So it's G-R-O-V-E-S-T. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. All the very best to you. And I look forward to seeing how this develops. Thanks, guys. And thanks for your time. And thanks to your listeners.